morning, uh, good morning everybody. Uh, as we look at Easter, we're going to be honest. There were three of us, we were having a text conversation this week, talking about last week's scripture reading. And one of the guys was like, hey, this is honestly where I am. And the response to that was, okay, that's a good thing. Because the response to that was, you know what, I would bet a lot more people have asked those questions that you're asking. They've just never will, been willing to be honest about it. And guys, I'm going to tell you that I bet you know people who are asking the questions that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the whys of Easter. Because these are questions that if they go unanswered, they can wreak havoc on our hearts and on our understanding of who Christ is and of Scripture. And I would bet that you know people who are asking these why questions. I would bet that there are people here who are asking these questions themselves. Whether you're joining us online or you're here in person, I would not be surprised if there are people who are going to listen to this in this space and these questions are rattling around in the back of your mind. And so we want to look at them. I've said, don't be afraid of questions. God has the answer. We just have to be honest enough to admit it's a question, and then we have to be courageous enough to go looking for the answer. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So whether you're asking the questions or you know people who are asking the questions, the hope is that we will come away from today, we will come away from this part of the service, seeing Jesus glorified, seeing him more clearly, and prepared to tell the world about him. And if you don't ask these questions yourself, and if you don't know anyone who asks these questions, then expand your friend circle and go make friends with people who are asking these questions, because the world needs to know Jesus. Please join me in prayer before we begin. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that this was your plan from the start. From the beginning, when you spoke and said, let there be light, to that day that we joyfully anticipate when perfect light shines as you come back, we thank you that this was the plan. Lord, we want to see you lifted high. None of us. Today is not about us. Today must always be about Christ. Every day must always be about Christ. So Lord, may you, for any hard hearts, God, break them. Shatter them. Soften them. For the questioning heart, the doubting heart, Lord, speak to them. For the heart that knows you, encourage them. Bolster them. Give the hearts of those here who know you courage to go share this with the world. But we trust you with this time. We need you to speak in this time. Not me. Get rid of me. May this be you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first question that I've, as I've engaged with unbelieving friends, as I've engaged with the world, as I've wrestled through this myself, becoming a believer and figuring out, okay, what do I believe? The first question that I've been asked that I hear people ask is, why did someone have to die? God's good? God's merciful? God's kind? You want me to believe these things, but somebody has to die? Why? Why did anyone have to die? God is good. God is merciful. God is kind. We'll look at these things. But God is also just. 
He is perfectly just. Isaiah 61, 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Deuteronomy 32, 4, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Job 34, 12, of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. God is just. Think of a criminal. Think of a, think of a criminal. Any of the famous names of the last 20, 30, 40 years. How do you think we would have reacted? How do you think you would have reacted if that criminal goes to court, the judge looks at him, Yep, 100% guilty. Guilty 10 times over, 20 times over. There is no doubt this person is guilty as guilty can be. You're free to go. Have a good day. We'd be outraged. See, we will not accept injustice in the world, but when it comes to us and our own sin, well, no, I'm, I'm okay if there's not justice. Let's throw justice out the window when it comes to admitting that I am not perfect, that I am a sinner. Then, God, you can ease up on the whole justice thing. But God is just. It's unavoidable. And so if God is just and sin is wrong, then there must be a consequence. What did God say the consequence of that sin was? Genesis 2, 16 through 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. So when we talk about God's kindness, I think those verses demonstrate that God is just, but that God is kind. Because He told us the consequence. He didn't leave it hidden. We don't have to guess. We don't have to try and figure this out. He was honest with us. And he said there's a consequence to sin. It's death. And so why did someone have to die? Because God is truthful. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Romans 15, 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So why did someone have to die? Because God is truthful and God is just. And so in his justice, there is a consequence to sin. In his kindness, he told us what it was. In his truthfulness, he wasn't lying. So if we want death to not be the consequence of sin, then we are saying, okay, I want a God who is not just and is not truthful. And then he ceases to be God. So someone had to die. The penalty had to be paid for God to be God. I've been asked this question, why did someone have to die for these reasons? Okay, well, fine. So someone had to die, and this is where our ego starts to come into play. I can take my own penalty. I'll pay it myself. Right? You ever go out to a meal with a group of friends, and the waitress comes, and it's like one tab, and there's that fight to grab the bill? 
You go out with family especially. Now that, you know, my siblings and I are all adults when we go out with parents, it's like that, hey, no, we got the bill. No, we got the bill. And there's all, you know, when the check gets passed around the table until finally my mom distracts us and then my dad quickly gives the waitress the card. Right? Because our ego, it's like, no, 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 you, you don't do, I'll do this for myself. I, I'm, I, I'm a man. I can pay this myself. I'm an adult. I have a job. I'll pay the bill. So why did Jesus have to die, people ask? If it's my sin, why did it have to be Christ who died? Because you and I can't pay the penalty. We can pay it imperfectly. As long as you saw the people having to pay the penalty, if you read through the Old Testament, they had to pay it again and again and again. The priest had to offer sacrifice again and again and again. Because we are fallen. And so we cannot pay the penalty perfectly. But Jesus, Jesus is the lamb without blemish. So only he can perfectly satisfy the penalty, the consequence of sin, and earn eternal salvation for us. Exodus 12, 1 through 28, the Passover lamb is introduced to the people. And the qualification for the Passover lamb is it must be a perfect lamb without blemish, without fault. Continue to read through the Old Testament. Beautiful introduction to this concept. Then we come to Hebrews 7, 23 and 22 through 26. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Romans 3, 24 and 25, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Propitiation. If you weren't here a few weeks ago, if you didn't go to the men's Bible study, we've looked at this, but I want to make sure we understand this word. Propitiation means paid in full. You and I cannot make propitiation. We don't have deep enough pockets to pay this bill. We cannot pay this penalty perfectly. Jesus is the only one who could be propitiation for our sins. Hebrews 9, 11-14, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." See, as long as the people were responsible for providing the blood, it was a temporary redemption. It had to be renewed. The priest had to go back in. The priest had to go back in. The priest had to go back in. Jesus, with his blood, secured an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... 
how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Why did Jesus have to be the one to die? It's quite simply, He was the only one who could. He was the only one whose death would bring eternal salvation, would bring eternal redemption. God's kindness. And so now we come to a question that I've been asked, that I've come across, and this question will trip people up. This question weighs heavily. This next question, this is a tragic misunderstanding, but if someone is wrestling with this question, it causes deep pain and angst and a resistance to the gospel. All right, so somebody had to die. Fine, I get it. I will admit I'm not perfect. There had to be a penalty. Someone has to die. Okay, fine. I can't pay that penalty perfectly. It has to be Jesus. All right. How in the world can you call God kind if he forced this on Jesus? How can you call God good if he made Jesus do this? That's not a loving father. He made Jesus go through this? Why was Jesus forced to die? And the simple answer to that question is, he wasn't. No one forced this on Jesus. Jesus didn't get to earth and then God said, hey, by the way, change of plans. Jesus knew this from the beginning. Jesus was, this decision was not made independently from Jesus. This was not forced on him. This was chosen by Christ. John 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then jumping to verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. Jesus made this decision. Why? Why was Jesus forced? Nope. Wrong question. Jesus wasn't made to do anything. Jesus, in his authority, in his decision-making power, said, I choose to do this. I take this upon myself. No one backed me into a corner. No one surprised me with this. This isn't against my will. I choose to do this for you. And now we come to the most beautiful why question. Well, why? Someone had to die. It had to be Jesus. Jesus chose to do this. Jesus chose to die for me. Why? I'm nobody special. I haven't changed the world. I don't anticipate changing the world. I'm just an average Joe, run-of-the-mill, fly-under-the-radar nobody. 
Maybe we're even more honest with ourselves. And I'm like, man, I wish I was neutral. I know the way I've talked to people. I know the way I've treated people. I know the integrity with which I've approached my job. I know the integrity with which I've approached relationships. I am not a good person. Why would Jesus die for me? Oh, friends. Because he loves you. Because he loves you with a love that if I were to take every breath of the next Social Security data says I'll probably die at age 87. If I were to take the, oh, I can't do that math. I don't know why. I'm in 30s, so 50 years. If I were to take every breath of the next 50 years to tell you how much Jesus loves you, I still wouldn't even be scratching the surface of the depth of his love for you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5.8, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2.20, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The why, the last why, why would Jesus do this? Because he loves you. Because he has always loved you. Even when you were his enemy, even when you were opposed to God with every fiber of your being, fully deserving of God's wrath, fully deserving of the penalty. It says the wages of sin is death. I earned death with every single breath I took. And in that horrible, fallen, broken enemy of God, Jesus looked at me and said, I love you. I will give myself for you. That's the why. So then we come to a what now? We answer these questions. We ask these questions. We wrestle with these questions. Why did somebody have to die? Why did it have to be Jesus? Why would he choose to do this? This is the truth of it. So now it's a what now? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to it? Oh, salvation. It's beautiful. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts 10.43, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name. Let's go back to what we just looked at. Well, why would God forgive me? Why would God offer this to me? Because he loves you. Yeah, yeah, but why would he forgive me? I know how bad I've been. I know how undeserving I am of this. Why would he do this? What did we say at the very beginning? That God is just and God is truthful. So when he says, hey, death is the consequence of sin, he is telling the truth. And when he says... If you repent and confess, you will be saved. He's telling the truth. 
it's beautiful. It's life-changing. It is life-defining. It is life-freeing. It is life-giving. And the only possible source of this is Jesus. These are the whys of Easter that lead to the what now. If you're here and you're a believer, brother, sister, man, if we're having fun today, imagine eternity. That's going to be a good time. If you're here and you're wrestling with this, do you know how desperately I want to call you brother and sister? There are people in this church who want that same thing. If you're here today, if you're joining us online and you don't know your answer to the what now, please, 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 don't do this for me. Do this for your eternity. Don't leave without asking someone a question. What now? Can you walk me through this repentance? What does that mean? What does that look like? Walk me through this confession. It says that angels rejoice every time a sinner repents. You think you're not somebody worth note? I mean, it is mind-blowing to think that at one point in this eternity existence, something I did led to the angels celebrating and rejoicing and throwing a party. That's crazy. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He gave himself for you. He wants nothing more than your redemption and fellowship with you in eternity. This is the gospel. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. With every breath in our lungs, we thank you. We thank you that you are just and that you are truthful. God, forgive me for when I want your character to change to make me more comfortable. Forgive me for when I want you to be less of who you are just so that my life is easier and I can be more comfortable. Lord, forgive me for these things. Thank you that you are truthful and that you are just. Thank you that you are kind, that you are good, that you are merciful, that you looked at us and you knew we could not pay the penalty, and so you chose to pay the penalty. The overwhelming gratitude, Lord, flood our lives with that. And the love. <laughs> the incomprehensible love of that. Thank you, God. You are, you are so good and you are only good. Uh, Lord, I, I repeat the prayer of earlier, break hard hearts today. Whether it's here, whether it's across town, wherever your church is gathering, may the gospel be proclaimed, God, and, and would you just shatter hard hearts. May Jesus be magnified this morning. It's in his name that we even have access to your throne to pray.
Amen.